0: Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain of JC Ministries. Today, we're going to continue with our Bible study in the book of Mark. So, if you will, turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Mark, and let's get into it. We're going to unpack this chapter, beginning with the feeding of the 4,000. Now, there is interest in Mark as an author, to his own right, Because he is not merely a cut and paste editor of the tradition, Mark has focused attention on the structural arrangement of his gospel. The section, chapter eight, verses uh, one through thirty, will reveal some important parallels with chapter that we've already covered, chapter six. Uh, beginning with verse 31 all the way to chapter 7 verse 37 and like I said we've already covered those But the parallels are interesting for example in chapter 6 verses 31 to 44 We have the feeding of the multitude that's going to parallel with chapter 8 verses 1 to 9 we also have the parallel the crossing the sea and the landing that we'll see in chapter 8 verse 10 that parallels with chapter 6 verses 45 to 56. A couple more parallels will be the conflict with the Pharisees that we'll read about in chapter 8 verses 11 to 13, which will show a parallel with chapter 7 verses 1 to 23. Now also in chapter 7 verses 24 to 30 we will see the parallel of the conversation about bread in chapter 8 verses 13 to 21. In chapter 7 verses 31 to 36 there was a healing that's going to parallel with chapter 8 verses 22 to 26 and lastly we'll have the confession of faith that we saw in chapter 7 verse 37 and we'll see that in chapter 8 verses 27 to 30. The motif that seems to to be behind this arrangement of the tradition is spiritual understanding or the lack thereof. Jesus sounds a call to spiritual understanding in chapter 7, verses 14 to 18, but the disciples fail to understand after each feeding miracle that we saw in chapter 6, verse 52. And we're going to see this again in chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. The miracles of healing that we see in chapter 7, verses 31 to 36. The opening of the ears of the uh, the deaf man. And then, of course, we're going to see the eyes of the blind man being opened in chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. These are symbolic of and they prepare the way for the opening of the spiritual understanding of the disciples. The striking similarity between this story and the story in chapter 6 verses 34 to 44 raises the question whether there was one or two feedings of the multitude. Now, there is strong reasons to support the view of two separate events. And let's take a look at these, because there's about four of them. The first one is the language in the two accounts has significant differences. Secondly, Jesus himself clearly refers to two feedings. And we're going to see that in verses 18 to 21 in this 8th chapter. Thirdly, verse 4 does not seem to be an insurmountable problem, since it is presumptuous to assume that the disciples always expected Jesus to meet a crisis before performing a miracle. And lastly, Mark clearly thought them to be two separate events. So, let's keep these things in mind as we begin to read chapter 8. We'll take a look at the first 10 verses here, chapter 8. And verse 1 is going to begin, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanotha. Okay, so let's take a look at verses 1 to 3 here, because remaining in the Decapolis, Jesus taught a large crowd that was gathered there. And after three days, Jesus, not the disciples, as we saw in chapter 6, verses 35 to 36, but Jesus recognized the physical needs of the crowds. Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they had not had anything to eat for three days. And he immediately dismissed the idea that the crowd should be sent away for food for fear that they would collapse on their way home. Now the disciples' reply in verse 4 suggests that they had completely forgotten the feeding of the 5,000. Now, this is perhaps the strongest argument against the view that there were two separate feedings. Would they have forgotten such an outstanding event? But the argument is not as strong as it appears. Why? Well, because one, a considerable period of time may have elapsed between the two events. Two, even mature Christians, which the disciples were not at that time, having experienced God's power and provision, have sub subsequently acted in unbelief. Third, the reluctance of Jesus to perform miracles must have so impressed itself on the disciples that they didn't expect him to meet every crisis in that fashion. And fourthly, the disciples responded by indicating the difficulty of finding enough food for such a huge crowd verses 5 to 7, we see that they only had seven loaves that were available to feed this crowd of 4,000. The people were not ordered into groups, but simply were ordered on the ground. Jesus gave thanks separately for the bread. He gave thanks for the fish. And after each prayer, the disciples distributed this food to the people. As always, Jesus' provision was sufficient. But it was not merely sufficient because seven basketfuls of fragments were left over and they were collected by the disciples. The use of spirus for basket here instead of the Kopfonisos is striking and it does suggest that there was two different occasions. Now, the miracle resembles this feeding of the 5,000, but yet we do take notice of the differences. One difference with the 5,000, the people were Jews. In the 4,000, the people were probably Gentiles because they lived in Decapolis. Now, in the 5,000, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude had been with Jesus for only one day. In this story of the 4,000, this crowd had been with him for three days. Thirdly, in the story of the 5,000, Jesus used five loaves and two fish. But this story, in the 4,000, he used seven loaves and just a few small fish. And we have a couple more to look at. In the 5,000, there was 5,000 men, plus women and children that were fed. Now, why do we say plus? because back in the Old Testament times when they would count people they just count the men and they didn't include the women and children but we do know that there was women and children there so the 5,000 was just the men so that crowd was probably a little bit bigger than that maybe even double now in the story of the 4,000 we see that they say there was 4,000 men plus the women and children that were fed and lastly we have in the 5,000 the surplus that filled 12 hand baskets. In this story of the 4,000, the surplus filled seven wicker baskets or hampers. The less Jesus had to work with, the more Jesus accomplished, and the more he had left over. In chapter seven, we saw crumbs falling from the table to a Gentile woman here a multitude of gentiles is fed abundantly now the first miracle in this period imitated that crumbs of bread might fall from the table for the needy gentiles here they may be an imitation that jesus rejected by his own people is to give his life for the world and is to be the living bread for all nations there is a danger in treating incidences like the feeding of 4,000 as insignificant repetition. We should approach Bible study with the conviction that every word of scripture is filled with spiritual truth, even if we can't see it at our present state of understanding. Now from Decapolis, Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee to the west side to a place called Dalmanutha. Now the identity of this place is unknown. But let's take a look at that, beginning with verse 11. And I'm gonna take a look to verse 21 here. So then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, No sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus said, being or I'm sorry, but Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. And also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blinded man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into town nor tell anyone in the town. So we got several things to unpack here. Now in verse 11, we go back to the Pharisees request a sign from heaven. This paragraph seems quite separate from the one immediately preceding it. Now Mark probably placed it here to form a parallel in this section with verses one to 30 with chapter seven verses one to 23 that was in the previous section. Now both incidences relate to conflict with the Pharisees. The request for a sign by the Pharisees was not sincere. Rather, it was to tempt Jesus. Jesus's temptation in the wilderness was not a once for all experience. The devil came back again and again to tempt him. And here the Pharisees were asking Jesus to provide indisputable, outward, compelling proof of divine authority, more proof than his miracles afforded. And Jesus resolutely refused for request for such a sign because it arose out of unbelief. The Pharisees were awaiting him, demanding a sign from heaven. Their blindness and their boldness was enormous. Standing in front of them was the greatest sign of all, the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus was truly a sign who had come from heaven, but they had no appreciation for him whatsoever. Oh, they heard his matchless words, saw his wonderful miracles, came in contact with an absolutely sinless man, God manifested in the flesh, yet in their blindness, they asked for a sign from heaven. Now, Jesus responded to their request by sighing deeply, as we see in verses twelve and thirteen, showing his grief and disappointment when he was faced with the unbelief of those because of their spiritual privileges who ought to have been more responsive to him but there's a note of impatience in his question of why the Jewish people were constantly asking for a sign Now, in truth God would not give them any sign Jesus' statement represents in Greek a shortened form of the Hebrew self imprecation if I do such a thing may I die for Mark and Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 6, the sign God gives is the ambiguity of the humiliated and crucified Lord. Faith can never find its grounds in spectacular signs. This teaching of Jesus was doubtless what the church in Rome needed to hear, especially if they had been too engrossed in an exalted Lord Christology. So having so emphatically made his point, Jesus left the Pharisees. He got into the boat. He crossed over to the east side of the lake with his disciples. So no wonder the Savior sighed deeply. If any generation in the history of the world was privileged, it was the Jewish generation of which these Pharisees were a part of. Yet they were blind to the clearest evidence that the Messiah had appeared. They asked for a miracle in the heavens rather than on earth. And Jesus was saying, there won't be any more signs. You've had your chance. So he gets into the boat and he sails eastward. Now, for some reason, the disciples had forgotten to bring an adequate supply of food with them for this trip across the lake. So in verse 14, we see that during the journey that these disciples, they forgot to take bread along. And Jesus was still thinking of his encounter with the Pharisees. Their failure sets the stage for the teaching of our Lord. Now some commentators see in the one loaf a symbolic reference to Jesus. The disciples have failed to see that this one loaf they had with them was none other than Jesus himself, but that was sufficient. Now, Jesus warned his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, yeast is a symbol of evil. just as only a very small amount of it can leaven an entire loaf of bread, so evil has a permeating power, just a little bit of it. And here the yeast of the Pharisees, as we see in verse 15, clearly refers to their desire for a sign from God to validate the actions of Jesus. Similarly, the yeast of Herod, and we can always go back and refer to Luke chapter 23, verse 8 for that. But Jesus was appealing to his disciples to understand that the authority he possessed could not be proved by a sign. Only by faith could they recognize Jesus as the bringer of God's salvation. He warned them against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And leaven, as we've already stated in the Bible, is a consistent type of evil. It spreads slowly and quietly, and it affects everything that it touches. Now, the leaven of the Pharisees included things such as hypocrisy, ritualism, self-righteousness, and even bigotry. The Pharisees made great outward pretensions of sanctity, but inwardly they were corrupt and they were unholy. The leaven of Herod may have included things such as skepticism, immorality, and worldliness. The Herodians were conspicuous for these sins. Now as we take a look at verse 16, the meaning of verse 16 turns on which reading is adopted, it seems best to translate it as they discussed with one another why they had no bread. That is, the disciples were so concerned to find out who was to blame for not bringing more bread that they completely ignored Jesus' warning about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. As elsewhere in Mark, the disciples lacked understanding. They caught on the term yeast and thought it had to do with the bread they didn't bring. The disciples completely missed the point. All they could think of was food. So Jesus directed rapid questions to them. The first five reproved them for their obtuseness. The last four rebuked them for worrying about the supply of their needs as long as Jesus was with them. Had Jesus not fed the 5,000 with five loaves, which left 12 baskets of leftovers? Well, yes, he had. He had not fed 4,000 with seven loaves, leaving seven hampers full over. Had he? Well, yes, he had. Why did they not understand that he was abundantly able to supply the needs of? of a handful of disciples in a boat then did they not realize that the creator and the sustainer of the universe was in the boat with them jesus rebuked his disciples for their lack of understanding they were like those on the outside that we saw in chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 who had eyes but they did not see they had ears but they did not hear they should not have been so concerned over a loaf of bread they should have remembered how abundantly jesus provided for them on two separate occasions so much so that on both occasions they had left over bread to collect jesus the provider was with them in the boat what else could they have ever wanted or needed with that, I'm going to stop there for today. Be sure to reread this section and meditate over everything that we have talked about today. And next time, we'll begin with the healing of a blind man at Messiah, beginning with verse 22. So until then, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.